Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're well, always, always, always. We have a big uh, storm, rainstorm starting in Tulsa right now. I hope it doesn't affect our connection here. Um, but I'm happy to be with you. And for those of you who have asked, I'm doing much better. I'm healing. Everything is terrific. God is good. Always, 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 always good. And we are going to continue with the Baltimore Catechism. It is an absolute treasure. And I won't keep repeating our questions, but we're just at the beginning. So let me just uh, repeat the three uh, for those of us, uh, those of you who weren't with us from the beginning. Question number one is Baltimore Catechism number three. What do we mean by the end of man and beloved It's for your knowledge, whether you've been a Catholic all your life, whether you've never been a Catholic, whether you are a practicing or a non-practicing Catholic, it's for you, it's for your neighbor, it's for your children. Everyone should know these answers. And this is a, even if you memorize it, um, the, the truth of the answer as you memorize it will seek deeper and deeper and deeper into you. Uh, King David wrote in the Psalm, uh, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. The more we have in our heart, the more we have to uh, call upon, to know the truth, to live the truth. So, first question, what do we mean by the end of man? And the answer, by the end of man, we mean the purpose for which he was created, namely to know, love, and serve God. I think of the people who have called in this program to say, I have no purpose, but you do. God gave you one, to know him, to love him, and to serve him. How is a question, but uh, there's endless, endless, endless ways to serve him, to know him, and to love him, to know him. You need to know the faith. You need to read the scriptures through. um, And that should bring you love, just to know who God is and know what he's done for us. And then you'll have no problem serving him. No problem at all. Your heart will be filled with all the gifts that he's given your unique personality. And you can go out and pursue them and fill them. If you're married... Your family will be sufficient for you to fulfill and serve God. That is your vocation. Second question, how do you know that man was created for God alone? And the question, and the answer is, I know that man was created for God alone because everything in the world was created for something more perfect than itself. But there is nothing in the world more perfect than man. Therefore, He was created for something outside this world. And since he was not created for the angels, he must have been created for God. Next, in what respect are all men equal? This should should solve 
feminism and equality uh, marches and all of that, in what respect are all men equal? And as I've said before, the catechism speaks of men because God speaks of men in the Bible. He said, I've created man and made him male and female. All of mankind, not person kind, not humankind, mankind is God's word. If we want to say humankind, that's fine. I personally detest it because it, it is, um, um, it's a fight against uh, the language of Scripture that God has given us. In what respect are all men equal? All men are equal in whatever is necessary for their nature and end. They are all composed of a body and soul. They are all created to the image and likeness of God. They are all gifted with understanding and free will. And they have all been created for the same end, that is for God. And in that, everything is equal. And there's no other... Uh, aspects in which we are equal. We are all created for the same end for God. Next question. Do not men differ in many things? Yes, of course. Men differ in many things, such as learning, wealth, power, etc. But these things belong to the world and not man's nature. He came into this world without them and he will leave it without them. He meaning us. Only the consequences of good or evil done in this world will accompany men to the next. That's mankind. That's men and women. Will accompany man, to, men to the next. So again, beloved, we are equal in having been made, uh, we're composed of a body and soul, we're created in the image and likeness of God, We all have received as gifts, understanding, and free will. We've all been created for the same end, which is God. But we differ in learning, wealth, power, everything. Um, And these things have to do with the world, not our nature. We differ in that. Um, Man came into the world without all these gifts, and he will leave it without them. Only the consequences of good or evil done in this world will accompany men to the next. Nothing else, beloved. Next question, who made the world? Okay, what's the answer? You're right, God made the world. Next question, what does world mean in this question? In this question, world means the universe, that is, the whole creation All that we now see or may hereafter see, God created it all. He created the world. And that's the meaning of the world in this this question. Because if you say, um, um, let's say uh, that God died, that the world would be saved, now he's speaking of human beings, uh, mankind. But in this question... Um, who made the world, the world refers to the universe, the entire creation, all that we see now and will see hereafter in heaven or in hell. God created it all. God didn't create sin, but he created hell for the devil and his angels. And 
unfortunately, anyone who does not want to be in heaven with God will be in hell by his own choice. Who is God? God is the creator of heaven and earth and of all things. You see, beloved, if you teach that to your children and you know it yourself, um, you will be living the faith all the time. Who is God? He's the creator of heaven and earth and of all things. And so uh, we have a current news article of a of a governor who says, who calls himself Catholic, by the way, who says, we don't need God. We don't need God. Well, if God is the creator of heaven and earth and of all things, then if we don't need God, we're going to do away with all the created things, including this world. What is man? Next question. What is man? Man is a creature composed of body and soul and made to the image and likeness of God. These are simple and yet at the same time deeply profound uh, answers. They seem simple, they're deeply profound, and we could not plumb the depths of them no matter how much time we had. What is man? Who is God and what is man? Two very important things for us to be able to define. Man is a creature composed of body and soul and made to the image and likeness of God. You know, um, I had put together a certain way to study and read the Bible years ago, and I, I've, I, I have it to this day. The entire, I'm going to take a break from here to, to say this because I think it's so important. Um, if you read the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, no matter how you read it or how long it takes, you will learn about God and man. That's it. God wrote the Bible through his prophets. Men, St. Peter says, moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And it cannot be changed. It is the infallible, inerrant, uh, authoritative, because God is his author, word of God, and it cannot be changed, not to accommodate culture or anything else. Every once in a while we'll change um, the tense of a word or the formality of a word, such as instead of saying thee, we say you, uh, that sort of thing. But... Um, the Bible is an infallible book that God, it wasn't written as a book, written as, as uh, 73 letters, separate books that were put together by um, uh, the 4th and 5th century councils of Carthage and Hippo into one book, one infallible book. And um, uh, what do I want to say here? Um, and there's one purpose to the book it's a if someone wrote you if you're dating someone and they write you kind of an intimate letter and you read the letter the person reading you the letter wants to tell you or communicate to you in some way what he or she thinks about you but he, he or she also wants you to know what they are about it's two ways what the author of the letter is about, and what you are about to them. And that's what the Bible is. 
Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails. And stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is at a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Hi, this is Wayne Hepler, founder of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer. If you are looking for a way to grow closer to our Lord, I invite you to visit our Catholic Retreat Center dedicated to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. The rustic setting provides a quiet atmosphere for prayer and for learning about the public communal prayer of the Catholic Church known as the Liturgy of the Hours. The seven canonical hours are prayed throughout the day, beginning with the Office of Readings at 5.30 a.m. and ending with night prayer at 8 p.m. You are welcome to join in the prayer at any time or to book the house for a retreat. We are located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. For more information or to book a visit, email info at liturgyofthehours.org or call the retreat house at 814-676-1910. You can also learn more by visiting liturgyofthehours.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we're going to continue reading in the Baltimore Catechism. We had a bit of an awkward uh, close to that break. Things came on upon us uh, very suddenly. So uh, we're going to continue here. And um, let me see now. Um, oh, I know what I was telling you, that um, that the Bible, just like a letter you write to your loved one, is a love letter from God to us. And the whole Bible, if you read it through Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation tells you about two things. Tells you about God and tells you about man, us, mankind, male and female, his human creation. That's what it does. And I don't know that anyone could get to know God much better than reading the Bible. You get to know him through the experiences he takes you through by experiencing his love and his chastisement and his guidance and all of it, even even sometimes the sense of his absence. You get to know God through all these things, his kindness, all his attributes. But when you read the scriptures, what I've often suggested is that you take a, a pad of paper and a pencil and you ask four questions. If, let's just say you read 
one chapter a day of the Bible. One chapter, that's it. One chapter. And if it's too much, read a half a page or a half a chapter. That's all right. Uh, the, the, the matter is not, uh, the importance is not how much you read, but that you read. It's better to read five minutes a day than three hours twice a week. Because five minutes a day, you'll get in the habit of knowing God, of reading, of meditating upon the Word of God. And a habit is wonderful. And one day, five minutes will become ten, and it will expand. And so, um, four questions you need to write down in that paper. Number one, what does this say? Let's just say we take Genesis chapter one. What is Genesis chapter one about? Well, if you read it through, you would say God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. Let's let's say that's a reasonable conclusion. There can be other conclusions because the, there's much in the text. And so you say, okay, Gen- God created the heavens and the earth. In that, what is true of God? And we could say, um, well, he's all-powerful if he did that. Third question, what is true of man? Well, we could answer in the negative. God is not all-powerful. He couldn't have done that. And, and man didn't do anything. He was passive in Genesis chapter 1. He was simply created. But he's not God. He's not the creator. He was made. And fourth, what does it have to do with my life today? Now, let me go again. Number one, what does this passage of Scripture say? In a sentence. In a sentence. Just pick out the thing that struck you. Now, stay with that, the thing that struck you, and say, what is true of God? And then what is true of man? And then what does it have to do with my life today? So Genesis chapter 1, what does it say? God created the heavens and the earth. Let's say that's your answer. So in your answer, don't go looking back in the chapter, but according to your answer, if God created the heavens and the earth, what is true of God? And I've just given the example. You could say he's all-powerful. All right, that's it. God's all-powerful. Number three, what is true of man, of us? And as I don't know. He didn't do anything in Genesis chapter 1. And you could say, well, he's not God. He's not all-powerful. And you'd be right. And then fourthly, what does that have to do with me today? Well, whatever your needs are, whatever your situation is, you could say, Lord, you're all-powerful and I am not. I ask you to protect my children today, to care for my husband at work, whatever it may be, uh, my uh, relative who is sick, whatever, my my neighbor who uh, doesn't know you. That's good. And then end with a prayer. Still on that paper, Lord, thank you for being the God you are, that I could come to you as your creature and ask you to protect my family, to heal those that are ill, whatever it may be, but always be specific. And those are the five things on each page for each day. In fact, I put those five things uh, on one page so you don't give yourself a lot of room for writing. Just a sentence, answer. Very, very, very simple. I gave that assignment to somebody that I was uh, helping to know the faith ones. She came back with a book on each page. 
she god is he's loving he's kind he's all well he may be loving he may be kind but how do you get that out of genesis genesis chapter 1 you see it, it we don't put in what we know about god as our answer we get out of the text what we um what we read what we read um and so um it, if if you say God is kind, that's because you know he's kind, but you've got to forget what you know and really dig into the passage. And I would say to you, where do you find in Genesis chapter 1 that God is kind? He is kind, but where do you find that in Genesis chapter 1? And if you do that, you will get to know God. You will get to know the Word of God, but you will get to know the God of the Word. I promise you, your life will change. Your life will change. You'll begin to be filled with all that knowledge. And, uh, you know, if, if you come across a situation that's frightening, you already know that God is all-powerful. And you knew it before, perhaps, but this time, you got it from the text. You got it from reading God's love letter to you. I think it's a wonderful way to read through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation or one book at a time, whatever book you wish to start with. Not a problem. Okay, next question. So who is God? God is the creator of heaven and earth and of all things. Next question, what is man? Man is a creature composed of body and soul and made to the image and likeness of God. See, he's the creator we are the creature. He is the potter, the scriptures say. We are the clay. There's a song that says, you are the potter, uh, I am the clay. Um, oh, I forget the words now, but it's make me and mold me, make me and mold me into your will while I am uh, waiting, surrendered, and still. I'm sure that's not uh, the words. But it's God is the potter and we are the clay. And if clay could talk sometimes when we're being molded, we'd say, ouch, don't bend me there. Ouch, you're poking me there. Don't do that. Don't do that. And we might scream. And then when we're finished, oh, we could breathe a sigh of relief. And then the potter puts us into the kiln to fire us up so that we become um, permanent. And in that kiln... We would scream our head off. It's hot. I'm going to die. Get me out of here. I don't want to be a beautiful cup or whatever you're making. I want to get out of here. And of course, the potter doesn't let you out until you're all done. And then when you're done, he takes you out of the kiln. And if he put you in front of the mirror and you could talk, you'd say, you got to be kidding. That's me. I'm gorgeous. (laughs) You see, that's me, really? Yes. And so whom the Lord loves, he uh, chastens. And he molds us and he prunes us into a beautiful vessel for him. It's a beautiful thing. So every trial we have, beloved, is just that. It's the molding, loving hand of God. And if he removes the sense of his presence from us, which he does in his love, it is not to abandon us. It is not to punish us not to chastise us, but to allow our faith to grow deep so that we uh, do not depend on our emotions for our spiritual being or welfare. 
that we we don't depend on the st- we don't mark the state of our spirituality based on how we feel but based on what we know is true of god and if you go through the bible like this you will know what is true of god and if you say god has abandoned me then i know you haven't gone through the bible because he doesn't abandon us and you'll know that well what is it then he's left us with the sense of his absence to have us mature um and truly our knowledge of him grow deep apart from feelings and then we'll have confidence in who god is next question does man, M-A-N, in the catechism mean all human beings? M-A-N, in the catechism, mean all human beings. What's the answer? Yes. Yes, it does. Man, in the catechism, means all human beings, either men or women, boys, girls, or children. Man. God made man and made him male and female. And when they're young, they're boys and girls, children, When they're adults, they're men and women, but all under the cover of man. What is a creature? That's the next question. Man, um, we said, what is man? Man is a creature composed of body and soul. What is a creature? A creature is anything created. You say, duh, I knew that. Yes, but if we put it together, we can explain. Uh, We know the faith deep down. And we can teach our children and impart it to our friends and unbelievers. What is a creature? A creature is anything created, whether it has life or not, body or no body. Every being, person or thing, except God himself, may be called a creature. Because God made everything. There's nothing that has been made that God has not made. So whether it's a leaf or a person or a mountain, whatever it is, God created it. And it, the mountain is a creature. The leaf is a creature. The tree is a creature. The person is a creature. Any person, every being, person or thing, except God himself, uh, may be called a creature because everything is created. Next question. Is this likeness in the body or in the soul, if we are made like unto God, um, in his image and likeness, what does it mean? Is that in the body? Do we look like God or in the soul? Well, no one looks like God and no one has seen God, in fact. Um, but uh, so it's chiefly in the soul, mostly in the soul. God, we could not become God. We could not see him. But God became one of us. Um, And the the reason we see our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh is not because we became like him in body, but he became like us in body in order that we may become like him in spirit and in virtue and in eternal life. Okay, we're going to stop there today, beloved. I hope this is somewhat helpful. Um, We all need to know our faith and review it. Um, So I look forward to your input and your comments. God bless you, beloved. There's the music for our break, and we'll have a whole half hour together after this break. The toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together. And uh, we're here to take your calls, your questions, your emails, your texts, um, anything that's on your heart and never needs to be the subject we're speaking about. Our toll-free number is one 511 5483 Good morning, Mother. It is a privilege to be with you today. Thanks, dear one. I love the Baltimore Catechism. I was raised on it in the 1950s. All right, good. And as you know, so much has changed. So there's something that I have my own feelings and suspicions about, but I uh, want your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. Okay, according to the Baltimore Catechism, three things are necessary to effect any sacrament correct form, correct matter, and the officiant or celebrant to have the intention of the church. All right, in the matter of transubstantiation, we know the right matter is pure grape, wine, and uh, bread with no additives. We know the correct form, the words of consecration. Mm -hmm. Now, regarding the, the celebrant, if he himself 
does not believe in that the bread and wine changes to the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. If he doesn't believe this himself, how can he have the correct intention of the church? Because one cannot, if he's celebrating, he can have the intention of the church. He could say deep down, I don't believe this, but this is what I'm doing as a priest. So he can. In fact, um, I think it's the miracle of Lanciano, um, where a priest was celebrating Mass. I might be wrong about Lanciano on this one, but a priest was celebrating Mass in an empty church. I think there was one person there. Um, it was at a very freezing winter, snowy night. The, 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 the church was practically empty. The priest was there and maybe one, maybe more parishioners, very little. And he, his, he had lost his faith. He didn't believe, but he, um, I don't think, I don't know that he lost it completely, but it was certainly failing. And, but he intended to do what the church, mechanically, he intended to do what the church did, even though his faith was failing. And in that consecration that he did, um, uh, God changed the host began to bleed right in front of him. And, um, of course, it restored his faith. And I went to Lanciano, Italy, and saw that miracle so many hundreds of years later. Um, the blood is still coagulated. It's still there. The host is still there. The miracle is still there after hundreds and hundreds of years. So if Bernadette, uh, I forget the term, um, Ex opere operato God, uh, uh, it is Christ who, let, let me say it this way, if we could see with our eyes what our faith understands, for all purposes, the priest, we wouldn't even see the priest, because as you know, Christ is the high priest, and Christ is the victim, and Christ it is who says, through the instrumentality of the priest, this is my body. So when the priest says, this is my body, he doesn't even have to be there in that sense. It's Christ who says that, and it becomes his body. God creates by his word. And so the priest can have the intention, though his faith is failing, but it is Christ who consecrates the bread and the wine. It is the same thing in the confessional. When the priest says, I absolve you, uh, only God can forgive sins, and he's chosen to forgive them through the instrumentality of the priest. When when you hear the priest say, I absolve you, the priest may be in mortal sin on the other side of the confessional, but it's God who says that through the priest. It's the same thing, um, that his intention can be for what he's doing, and yet he may have lost his faith. I'm going to suggest, Bernadette, your question is a wonderful one. Um, in this day and age, there are so many priests and bishops, seemingly, who have lost their faith. And yet, the Mass goes on. Because if it were up to us to know the validity of each Mass, the faith of the priest, if it were up to us, we'd never be able to receive communion. Well, we'd receive communion all the time and never know when it was truly Christ. So God has protected his church by even the intention of the priest to do what the church does, even if he doesn't have the faith. 
And he can. Oh, I'm so glad. And he can have the intention without the faith. Go ahead. Let me go one step further because you raise another question in my mind. All right, so the catechism says, must have the intention. All right, the priest is alter Christi. Yes, yes, that's what protects us. If the priest himself does not have the intention, he just figures, I'm, you know, this is a charade. He's one of the, you know, really lost lot, let's say. Then would you say that the priest doesn't have the intention, but Christ himself is transubstantiating? No, I think the priest does have the intention. Let's say um, a communist went in there to celebrate Mass. and We know the history of the Church and that communists have infiltrated the Church and have become priests and cardinals. We know that now. Um, and let's say uh, someone that was totally false uh, went in to celebrate Mass. He would have the intention of doing what the Church is doing. He would go through the words and the ritual to fool everybody. He would have that intention, even though he doesn't have goodwill or the faith. And through that, God would, uh, the, the, the Eucharist would be valid. Um, he'd have the intention of uh, a sham, whatever it is, but he would be doing what the church intends by his actions and by his words. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You're Thank welcome, you. dear one. You're welcome. You. Goodbye. Goodbye. Um, Carrie in Missouri is on the line. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Mother. How are you? Oh, fine, dear one. How about yourself? I'm wonderful. Thanks be to God. I'm glad. <laughs> Go ahead, sweetie. Um, I had a question. We homeschooled our kids um, in the past, and it would be three years now this year. We took them out, or or we we sent them to school. We sent them to a Catholic school. It was a school that, you know, was just kind of Catholic in name. They didn't really do anything that was really, truly Catholic. Um, And then we started having problems with some of the teachings as our kids got older, um, we have, when we took ours, our oldest out was she was in fifth grade. Um, I, I well, no, I take that back. She was in sixth grade. Our, my question is, they really miss their friends. And we still live in the town, so their friends are around. Um, you know, they can see their friends at various things and at sporting events and things like that. But... Um, they're, they cry a lot because they they say they don't have any friends. They they they're just really, um, I guess, missing that social interaction with the other kids. But our oldest started to exhibit a lot of behaviors that were started to get really alarming. And after I talked to the mom of her best friend in school, I learned that she was actually going through counseling for a lot of anger issues and violence towards her younger sister. And that's what our daughter started to exhibit signs of. And so we're really hesitant to encourage a friendship with, with the other girls and um, that they were friends with in school, but, but we don't know how to really find that balance. We live in a very rural community. Um, There's, not a lot of homeschool kids. Um, the ones that are homeschool, I, I mean, we're the only Catholic homeschool kids that we know of. And there's really not any others their age. 
a very difficult thing, Carrie, and it's it's why I suggest, you know, I've said before, now, you know, you have a different situation here, but um, just to say, I think everyone should be receiving the newsletter. It's been in the mail, but we send it bulk mail to so many people. Uh, hopefully sometime this week, those who are on our mailing list will receive it because it's on completely on homeschooling. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> And the email was already received. But um, this is why, uh, if you don't mind, I'll use, use your situation as an example, why parents who homeschool their children from birth on, you homeschool your child the moment of conception through nine months in your womb, and then you raise them in your home, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-olds, and why you turn them over to the world, even a so-called Catholic world, when they are of four, five, six years old, is absolutely beyond me. The parent has the vocation to raise the child and not to turn that child over to the world. And in your case, it's another point I've been making, dear one, that if we turn our children over to a so-called name-only Catholic school and they don't do anything Catholic and they don't learn what's Catholic, you're actually destroying your children because they're going to think they learned Catholicism and they haven't, that sort of thing. And they're, uh, it, it's a very, very rough situation. So, um, and in fact, um, I don't even know, Carrie, if you're the only Catholic family, how is there a Catholic school? No, I mean, we're the only Catholic family homeschooling. The oh, Catholic forgive me. School goes, oh, okay. Yeah, they they have pre-K through eighth grade, and then after that, they go to the public school. and And we homeschooled until our oldest daughter was in fourth grade, and then we took them out. Um, we have two, so we our oldest was in fourth grade, our youngest was in second, and we took them out when our oldest was in starting the sixth grade year. She started the year, and then she started coming home with these totally bizarre. I think we're supposed to be Buddhist. Um, we got you see now. Why did you take them out, Carrie? Because we got a new principal, and she's a nun. And we started looking her up. She comes from a very, very liberal um, community, and she teaches religion. Well, our daughter started coming home saying, "Like, well, I don't think the Bible's really true." And you see now, Carrie, here's my point. I'm interrupting you. Forgive me. But but just to stay on, on the point, no parent should send their children to particularly a Catholic school um, without finding out who the teachers were, if they're Catholic or not, what they teach, what curriculum is being used. You're handing your child that God gave you to raise over to someone else to raise. That's what it amounts to. And so you, you've now you've experienced um, the, um, uh, I don't know what, what word to use, the destruction of how you want to raise your child by putting her in someone else's hands. So I just want to take your example, Carrie, forgive me, but to warn parents not to do that, not to do that. You see, if you kept your children home, they wouldn't be crying now about missing their friends, about being socialized, um, 
uh, and acting out like that because the home is what they will have known and that's what God intended that they know so um, uh, Carrie dear one uh, there's the music for our break can you hang on till after the break sure Okay, all right, and we'll be right back, beloved, and our lines are open. You are welcome to call in uh, with anything on your heart. Toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, okay, I, I think it's so important for you, for to, us to know, for parents to know why they think it's time to send their children out either to a Catholic school or a public school. Uh, Public school is a lot better than a Catholic school who doesn't teach the faith or more, in your case, who teaches against it. Okay, we'll be right back. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture. Or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day. And we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Prayer of Deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We've got a good 10 minutes left, and you are welcome to call in with anything on your heart or to email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Carrie, dear one, are you still on the line? Yes. All right, all right. So um, where are we now with all that I've said? So you're 
uh, I both uh, did you pull both girls out of the Catholic school? Yes. And it's the older one who's acting out now. Yeah, the younger one um, gets probably more emotional than yeah. the older one about missing her friends. Um, but the older one is she's in seventh grade now. She's um, or you know she's going into seventh grade. She's really starting to go through her hormonal changes and so that's impacting it and she says she doesn't have any friends and and really they're right i mean we have they have cousins and things but even their cousins you know they yes they don't okay i understand but see that's a situation that the parents created by taking them out of school by putting them into school i should say um and the the behavior that of acting out. They didn't learn that at home. They learned it at school. They've learned rebellion at school. They've learned uh, things against the faith, against God at school. So it's so dangerous. I have a thought, Carrie. I don't know if this would work. But what if you contacted uh, some of the parents in that Catholic school, if you know any, that are faithful Catholics, and you get together with one or two of them, and tell them what your children have experienced and how one of them came home saying we should be Buddhists and how they're acting out and how nothing is that's really Catholic is taught in that school. And what if you have a little meet and invite them over three couples for coffee one night or something like that and talk about homeschooling and form maybe a couple of things. Maybe you could form a little homeschooling community with them. And um, if you get my newsletter and you think that's helpful because it has complete sources in it for books, for homeschooling groups, for everything, uh, we'll have many extra copies that you could ask us for. They're free. Um, what if you have an evening with them and suggest um, the idea of homeschooling because your the children are going to graduate that Catholic school and think they've gone to Catholic school and they have not. They're going to think they're Catholic and the fact is their faith and character will have been ruined. And so then they're off to high school and beyond and they're going to be in trouble and they'll probably mm-hmm. leave the church. So mm-hmm. if you could meet with some of those, you and your husband, um, meet with other couples and say, you know, we've, we've, we started out homeschooling, everything was great, and we made the mistake of sending our children to, to school, especially with the title Catholic that is really um, uh, destroying the faith, not building it. And so ask them if they want to consider homeschooling and just tell them because you have the experience they might be afraid that you'll kind of help coordinate it and and be their leader so to speak even if you don't think you're a leader or qualified doesn't matter you get together and you'll strengthen one another um that's one thought i have um i I was very vocal go ahead no go ahead i i was very my husband and i we were very vocal about what was being taught and we did to talk whom? to parents and, yeah. um, whenever we were they were in school we, uh-huh. we found out what was being taught uh-huh. um, we were very vocal about it and I talked to a lot of parents I was very I used to actually 
years ago teaching that school. Mm-hmm. And I, so I know a lot of the parents. I knew the teachers. We, I talked to them all, and nobody cared. There, there was one family that possibly cared about it, but they would not consider taking their kids out. They, they thought that, that it was fine and that we, um, our, no. our parish here is very much into the love. We have to um, love everyone and whatever their life is, that's fine. And it's you have no never, other choice of parish or school or anything else. Okay. Not well, at school. We drive. We drive an hour and a half to another parish, which to, means that mass. you can't go to daily mass, right? No. Um, right. No. Uh, well, I would still ask Our Lady to uh, and Our Lord to move the hearts of some of those parents. Saint Joseph is mm-hmm. in charge of the family. I would pray in novena with your husband to move their hearts. And go back mm-hmm. and speak to them. And you can also, now this would be huge, but take some children. And if two couples say, we'd be good for it, but we can't do it, you might volunteer to teach them all. You have a, mm-hmm. You'll have a little class of students at home of, let's say, three families combined. And you'll teach them. Mm-hmm. That might be good. And the families could become close and they'll have a little circle of friends. The other thing is, Carrie, I don't know if you and your husband have considered moving, but there you have. We have. Okay. Is there, is there something stopping you? We um, prayed about it for about two and a half years, and we would go and look at places, and we would um, check into places, and it seemed like God closed the door on everything. We talked to our priests. Uh, we have the priest that we travel an hour and a half to. He's very, very, very devout, um, very devout. He's very, very good. And um, he just said, maybe God's telling you to bloom where you are planted. And so that's kind of the conclusion that we came to, because everywhere we would go, a door would shut. Yes, and the fact is, at the moment, you're not blooming where you're planted. You're letting the world Mm -hmm. take over you instead of Mm -hmm. your blooming as a Catholic family. So um, I I would not give up the thought, bloom where you're planted is, 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 is good, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't move. Um, mm-hmm. I would keep that option open, and um, um, and if this is a wonderful, devout, holy priest that you drive an hour and a half to see, um, I would continue to look around there and put a notice in the bulletin that a family of four is looking for whatever, how large a house, and uh, even if you have to rent one before you can find the one you want, I would not give that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I would continue to build friendship with some of those parents and either suggest that you could homeschool their children with yours uh, or um, that you could form a little homeschooling community and, and help one another. Mm-hmm. But should I like really be concerned that they really don't have any friends? I mean, they really just have no, you know, us. No, absolutely not. Don't be concerned. You, um, you know, there are p- children who live up on fa- with farms and they never see anybody. The family is a unit. Fa- in fact, I remember 
when my brother, who has four children, had a beautiful residential neighborhood and the kids were going over to each one's house and the parents hardly ever saw them at home, they purposely moved to a small farm so that their children would grow up together. And the children missed their friends at first, but they weren't going to know each other. And that was the end of it. They grew up together and they made all things together and made little sleds for the snow. And it, it was the opposite of what we see today. God would have you be a family. Worry about the morality, the right growth of your children, much more than they're having friends who are only leading them in the wrong direction and countering what you're trying to do. Don't worry about that. Okay. 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 okay find a you. find a way uh, to 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 for them to have friends from that good church you go to. Find a way to do it or to move. Okay. God bless you. <laughs>